Good morning. I think we're on. Yeah. Cool. All right, this week we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, not Isaiah, but going to be in, in Matthew chapter 6. And this week we're going to be um, having a kid's sermon, just a, a little, a few questions for the kiddos here. Um, do you all ever pray in your house? Do you ever get to lead in prayer, maybe at the table or maybe uh, like at bedtime prayers or anything like that? Do you know how to pray? Yeah, we've got a couple hands, a couple of kids. You guys know how to pray? How do you know how to pray? You just automatically knew how? Noah. Because I taught you. <laughs> it's my kids. <laughs> Can't call them my kids. Because you've seen other people pray, and other people have shown you how. So I got to, I got to do that with you guys. Um, but Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. Does anybody know what he taught them to pray? Does anybody know the Lord's prayer? Can anybody say it? Ooh, big, big question. Do you know how, how does it start? Our Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We, we talk to God, we talk to God, uh, about, about certain things. When Jesus told us to, taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them certain things. But we talk to God about lots more than just that one prayer, right? Are those the only words that we can pray? Or we can, can we pray lots of things? We can pray lots of things. So here's, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray with a model of a prayer. But these aren't the only things that we can pray. We get to go to God with, with lots and lots of things. But if you don't know yet what the things are that, that Jesus uh, taught his disciples what to pray for, then I encourage you to listen as we go through them together. I think that this will be a sermon that you kids can follow pretty easily, so I don't have a whole lot of explanation for you here. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and um, I think it's, there are a lot of interesting things. So we're going to walk through the passage and just look at what are we asking for? Because this is something that I think is so... Um, so foundational for us that we can easily just pass over things without asking the questions. What are, what are we asking for? So when Jesus gives that model to us, we want to drill down and pay attention to what he's, he's saying. Before I um, get into this, I would like to pray also. Father, I pray that you would help us to open your word and to see in it um, the things that you, that you want to bring to light for us, that you would shape us and make us more like Jesus this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to tune in to things that maybe are just um, second nature and we don't, we don't clue into the specifics of this passage. God, would you, even if we already know things, would you make them fresh for us again so that we can, can marvel at who you are? Um, we need new sights of you over and over again. Um, so that the glory that we have seen doesn't fade in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to, to meet with you this morning and that your Holy Spirit would do things for us that we absolutely can't do. And that's why we come and ask you, because we are helpless without you. And so, Lord, would you teach us this morning how to pray as we look at your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So it's Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 9 and go through verse 13. 
And I don't think that we have it on the slide. I don't think that we have, we might have it. Ben says we have it. So the, the background for it is that Jesus' disciples are asking him to teach them how to pray. So uh, he says, verse 9, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it's important that we remember this isn't just one of the prayers that's in the Bible. This is actually Jesus teaching us, modeling for us how we ought to pray. And so I think it's very encouraging that when Jesus says, uh, addresses God, that he addresses his addresses him as father. He could have, he could have used anything to address God, but if he's going to model a prayer, he'd think he's being very intentional with how he comes and talks to God. So one of the first things to notice is just the word, the relationship that we draw on right off the bat, father in heaven. So there's a, a, a term of closeness and an intimacy, also a term that is filled with authority, also, your father has authority over you, and it's doubled by the fact that this is your father who's in heaven. He's, he's not, uh, even though he is intimately acquainted with you, even though he knows you and loves you, he is your father in heaven. He's not your, your buddy, your pal. He is. Um, Abraham was called the friend of God, I believe, Abraham. There is a friendship, there's a connection there that is familiar, but there's also the Father who's in heaven. This, this is, uh, demands a certain amount of respect as we enter to talk with him, and that's followed up in the very next words with, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is to be treated with reverence, to be kept holy. So God's God's not like us. As we, as we come in to meet with him and talk with him, there's, there is an otherness to God that I think Jesus is intentional with bringing to our remembrance. But it's also, that's a request. That's a request that his name would be hallowed. That's actually the first request that we're praying. May your name be treated as holy in the whole earth. Your kingdom come. May, may, may your, your renown be spread abroad in this world. But I think Jesus is also doing something for us to, to cause us to stop and reflect when he says, hallowed be your name, that, that we are to enter with, with a reverence. And there's a built-in reminder as we come in and, and approach God. There's so many things that, uh, that we just take for granted. I think that's one of them probably most amazing tendencies that we have as human beings is just to take things for granted. It, it's really surprising and remarkable how quickly that happens for us. You know, like uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, we had cassette tapes and CDs. Those were in circulation, right? And so uh, when I got my first CD player, I was wowed at this thing. It, it's, it's awesome. It doesn't have like anti-skip anything. It doesn't have multi-disc changer, nothing like that. It's just loud and it's a CD player and it's mine. And I was amazed at it, but it's also kind of like not all my friends had one. This is, this is pretty legit right here. 
And then uh, CD players come along that have 15-second buffering. And wow, you know, it hardly skips it, you know, too much. And then you've got 90-second buffering. And I can put that thing on the dash in my car with the tape converter thing, you know. And so if you don't drive down a gravel road, this thing doesn't skip at all. And I remember being very impressed with my 90-second a second anti-skip CD player, Discman. And then an MP3 player comes along. And, you know, 32 megabytes. I'm talking, you can get a whole sermon on that thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's super impressive. And, and I love it because I can use it with my work. And I don't, I don't skip as I'm running along. And that's awesome. And then, you know, a 5 gigabyte uh, iPod. And then smartphones where we're streaming you know, as many sermons as you want, or music, or whatever you want to. And I'm not as wowed as often as when the advances of technology were coming along. Now it's just so so automatic that I, I don't take as much notice of it. And we, if you're born in an age where that's just automatic for you, you may not think about it much. And if you were uh, born in the age of a horse and buggy, you would be marveling at the, the cars that we have today. Um, one of the most amazing or funny times for me uh, thinking about someone else's shock at technology uh, was when I was in China and um, was with a couple of friends and we went to a more developed city. We were in a pretty uh, underdeveloped area and we went into a bathroom and they had automatic uh, motion sensing like water on off at the at the bathroom. And so they went to the sink and trying to figure out how to turn it on. And they, they, they stood there, and neither one of them could wash their hands. And I, and I went up and did this underneath there and started washing my hands. And just, uh-huh, what? You know, they just they broke into just a fury of uh, a language, just, just un- unbelievable that, that we had this kind of technology in Shanghai. And so that was, that's just in my mind at what it's like to appreciate something that just, that just floors you. But we have been in an era, we have woken up on this side of the cross where we get to approach God, direct access to the Lord. And do we walk in without reverence, without hallowed be your name, without a certain level of respect for the Lord as we approach him? He is, he is our friend. He is our father. But man, do we know are we stopping to, to marvel at who he is? If, if we don't intentionally have some points for reflection, we will miss the privilege that we have. And so Jesus in this is building in a first request. May you be honored. May you be worshiped. May your name be treated as holy, both for ourselves and for other people. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That's the expansion of this thought. May God's name be treated as holy. May it be treated as holy, not just for me, but also for all those around. May your kingdom come. What, what are we asking for when we ask that God's kingdom comes? Um, I really don't think I had much of an idea. I, I think I would have been asking for most of my life, would have been asking that God, Jesus would come back with his second return, that his kingdom would come, like come back quickly, you know, kind of a thought. But I don't think that's what Jesus is 
asking for here because the kingdom is much more than our final entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We experience his kingdom here on earth. And to, to get there, let's ask for a second what a kingdom is, and then we'll try to come back and look at what Jesus is asking for us to, uh, to pray for in, in this Lord's Prayer. So a kingdom, if, even if you look it up in an old dictionary, is not just a geographic area. That, that's what my mind jumps to, you know, the kingdom of Great Britain or something like that, just a, an area. But you, to have a kingdom, you really need three things. You need an area or realm over which you rule, and you need subjects on that land who are in submission to your, your words, and then you need authority. And so if you have a lot of land... You don't necessarily have a kingdom. The guy who owns the most land in in the U.S., I looked it up, is John Malone. He owns 2.2 million acres, um, which is twice the size of Delaware. And so that's a lot of of land. Um, It's 13 times the size of Singapore, which is an independent country. But he's not a king. He's just a farmer, you know. And he has people who are his employees who he has authority over, but they can also walk off at any point, and he can't say, off with your head. You know, he, can't, he doesn't have that kind of authority, and even the land that he has, he doesn't have ultimate authority over it. He can't, for instance, decide he wants to sell his land and sell it to Russia and move it out of the possession of the United States. It's a, a derived authority, and he has a limited authority with the people who are there, who are his employees. So to be a king means you are the sovereign. You are the ruler over an area and over a people. So Jesus is saying, your kingdom come. May you hold sway in your people in this world. May may your reign, may your rule and reign Take over here. That's what we are told to pray. A question with that is, how is that different than the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, wasn't God king? He was the king. Um, Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Second Chronicles 20, verse 6 says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. So God was king in the Old Testament. But Jesus did something new when he came to earth and established his kingdom. John the Baptist came preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus That was his same message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus was doing something that's different than what was happening in the Old Testament. He's exerting, it's not that God didn't have power in the Old Testament, he had the claim over everyone. But he's exerting his power in a new way to, to overthrow Satan and to put his spirit in us and to exercised demons during his time on earth. Never saw that in the Old Testament happen. 
We never saw uh, lots, lots of things that are our blessed, the blessings that we experience now living in, in Christ's kingdom. He's establishing his kingdom. And he said there's a mystery about the kingdom, that the kingdom is, is like a mustard seed and it's, and it's growing. There's a, a mystery that there's wheat and tares that are sown side by side. It was a mystery that believers and unbelievers would go together until the final uh, coming of his kingdom. So it wasn't a spiritual authority, or it wasn't a uh, governmental authority that, that got brought as his kingdom came. It's a spiritual authority that Jesus is exercising now. And so we're praying and told to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That God would hold sway in the hearts of people as he's reclaiming us out of the, the God of this age, out of his grasp. Your will be done on earth. That, that is almost a explanation of what it is that his kingdom would come, that his, his life would be manifested through the lives of his people. As he has come, that they, we would have life and have it abundantly on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how's it done in heaven? I mean, it's done perfectly. That's what we're, that's what we're praying. We're praying that, that God's rule would be, uh, be followed perfectly here. But also, it's done not with a uh, dreary heart. It's done ecstatically. It's done with, uh, with joy. It's, it's not something that we do by works of the law. Instead, he's put his spirit in us to cause us to walk in his ways. Like, where from the heart, obedience is happening. We want to have obedience in this way. Let, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, like the angels do it. Give us this day our daily bread. What does it mean to, uh, to pray this? I mean, daily bread, I think that's, that's one thing that uh, is interesting. We're not, we're not going to pray for, you know, a one-and-done prayer. We're going to pray something over and over and again. Provide for us today. Provide for us today. But, but why? I mean, Jesus just got done talking to the Pharisees and, or to people about the Pharisees and says, don't be like the Pharisees who use meaningless expressions and, and repetitions. Don't use hollow, empty sayings but we're going to say something every day. So don't let your prayers for daily provision become an empty expression. Pray for July 30th's provision of food. Pray for July 30th's work of saving in your heart. Pray for July 30th's work of saving in your son who's not yet believing. You know, you pray for this lost person over and over and over again, but you don't want it to become an empty saying. You want to pray every day, do this work today. Do today's work of saving in their heart. Pray for your your daily bread and, and thank you, God, for this food. Bless it to strengthen our bodies. So easy to let that be empty. And Jesus warns against that, but still tells us, pray every day for it. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, this is one that, for me, has been, uh, 
been really good to think about. And I think probably the last, I don't know, ever since I heard this talk from C.S. Lewis, I've been thinking more about what it means to forgive someone versus make excuses for them. And uh, I'm confronted by it quite a lot. Lewis pointed out that very often when we need to forgive someone, uh, we try to make it out like they weren't as bad as it seemed. And, and that's pretty fair because a lot of times our first response to something is very much overboard and we don't take into account all the extenuating circumstances that were going on in their hearts and their, their lives. So somebody, you know, had gotten four hours of sleep and their van broke down or, you know, whatever else it is that's going on in their life today, you should, you should cut them some slack and say, you know, I know you had all these things going on, but you haven't gotten to forgiveness at that point. You've just gotten to being reasonable with the person and being fair. You know, that, those are factors. We should consider those things, but that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness comes with the bit of the wrong that's left over after all the excuses have been made and you can't come up with anything else to justify this person or take into account for them anymore. After all that's said and done, now there's 40% left over that's just ugly and mean, and it was intended to be mean. Now forgiveness happens. That's, that's so many times what someone who's holding on to bitterness will say. They'll say, well, if you knew all the things that they had done, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want, you know, you would understand. That's where forgiveness happens. That's where you haven't, until, unless, unless there's no excuse for it, you haven't started to forgive. You've only started to be reasonable with the person. Once all excuses have run out and, and there's no excuse for their behavior, that's when forgiveness starts. And we, as we come to God, we need to be very careful that we don't do the same thing and try to make excuses for ourselves or make out our case to God that, you know, all these things happen and Lord, I knew I shouldn't have done that, but you know, it was, you know me. (laughs) You're not asking for forgiveness and that's, Jesus doesn't offer um, acceptance of our excuses. He, he offers to look square at our wrong and say, I will never hold that against you. And, and so as we come to God, we, we need to be honest with our, our faults and be able to look at them. Isn't that the miracle of forgiveness that God looks square at us and says it's, it's wrong and there's no excuse for it and I will never hold that against you. Your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. I took all that record of guilt that was against you and set it aside, nailing it to the cross in the body of our Savior. It's, it's done away with. And because of that, we can forgive others too. Because we have been forgiven so much, we're able to look at the inexcusable in each other and say, I won't hold that against you. I've been forgiven 10,000 talents. I'm not going to choke you out over 100. Forgive as we have been forgiven. Man, I'm just thankful for that. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's interesting that Jesus tells his disciples to, to pray this, that God would not bring us into temptation, but would deliver us from evil.
we're told we're told to pray for that. We're told uh, that God would just that God would uphold us through through evil and not not bring us into temptation. And it seems seems to be uh, that the Lord measures out our trials for us, and and why we would ask to be led away from those trials. I don't know. Jesus says Jesus says to do it. And we definitely understand deliver us, deliver us from evil, that we need saving by him. We need to be rescued. One of the great things about praying and asking in general is that it's designed to, to do for us what we can't do. It, it shows that, that uh, we need the Lord's help. It's, it's simply a relying on him. So whether it's being led away from temptation or, or de- delivered out of evil and, or, uh, something that, that the Lord is going to do for us, church, our prayer is meant to say that we exist to do more than is humanly possible. And if we're not praying, it may be that we are simply trying to live for what is humanly possible. It's, it's a, how much are you expecting the Lord to use your life measuring rod? If you are ready to ask the Lord to do things in you, he says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. That's, that's an amazing thing that the God of the universe who controls all things, who uh, who is king over all, says, do this, ask, and you will receive. These aren't, these aren't reminders. This isn't a reminder checklist. This is things to ask for, things to pray for that God would do, which he won't do without our asking. James says, ask, and you will receive. Or no, Jesus said that. James says, you don't have because you don't ask. That's That's amazing. That, that's hard to square in my mind. You don't have it because you don't ask for it. So flip that negative statement around and turn it positive. If you had asked, then you would have that. That the God of the universe is telling us, come and ask me and I will do this, is an un, unspeakable privilege which, like... So many other things we forget. We have grown numb to this amazing gift that, that Christ died to purchase for us, access to the Father. I don't have a whole lot of you know, amazing insights from this. I just wanted to walk through the passage, look at it step by step, ask, what are we asking for with this? What are we asking for here? I think we know it. We just need, a, we need to be reminded we need to be reminded of the privilege that we have as we get to come meet with the Lord and get to come and ask for things so that he will do it. We're, we're a church that I believe wants to honor the Lord and wants to see him made known, wants his kingdom to come. Are we, are we asking like we, like we ought to be? Are we seeking the Lord so that his power would be, be known in us? I want to see, I want to see more of the Lord at work in, in my life. I want to become more of a praying person. So I'm going to ask him to do that because I believe he's faithful to do that. One of the great things that we uh, get to have in a reminder 
with the Lord's Supper is that he purchased for us on the cross not, not only forgiveness and pardon, but he purchased for us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We, all of the promises of God are yes to us and amen through, through him. Without his sacrifice on the cross, we can't come to God. We can't, we can't ask humbly or anything uh, enough to, to get a favored response from the Lord. We only come because he has made us a kingdom and priests to our God. We only come because he has, by his blood, made us new. So as we consider our hearts and, and prepare for the Lord's Supper, I want us just to be reminded of that, that we're, we are only able to come to him, only able to obey any of this or meet with God because he has made us new. I'm going to pray. Father, we are so, so thankful to be able to call you Father. So thankful that your kingdom is coming. So thankful that your word does not return void, but accomplishes the thing for which you sent it. Your kingdom will not, it's not a question mark over your kingdom, whether or not it it comes, whether or not it conquers, whether or not you will rule over all things. The question mark is, will we participate in it? Lord, I pray that you would work in us. I ask you to work in us, to make us your church that is on the move with you and militant and, uh, and like humble children coming to you. We don't come into the kingdom in any way except like a little child that needs you. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that for us because we can't do it for ourselves. Open our eyes to see you. Humble our hearts and remove our self-determining pride and and remove our uh, independent thoughtlessness that just assumes that we can do things on our own when, in fact, you have said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, just work in us because we need you. We don't have a claim to you except that we, we need you and Christ died for us to secure for us every, every blessing. In Jesus' name we ask.